My name is Ed Akira, and I'm the producer of the short film documentary, a film called Blacks Can Swim. The aim of the film is to understand why a disproportionate amount of black people and ethnic minorities can't and don't swim. On my journey to hand down the truth, today I have the pleasure of speaking with someone who was a YMCA state champion and national ranked high school swimmer. He swam for Yale University and in 1992 was a hopeful for the Summer Olympics. When he retired from professional swimming, he spent the next 15 years traveling around the world, visiting, working and living in 24 countries in North, South and Central America, Europe, Africa and the Caribbean. He has been described as a one-of-a-kind Yale graduating, globe-trotting, God-fearing, track-driving, fast-swimming family man. Sipiwe Balika, welcome to In the Deep End with Edakira. <laughs> yeah, we really are in the deep end, and thanks for that introduction. So, so I only mentioned a few of the things that of the highlights um, of what you've achieved and what you've done. So, if I've left anything out, please go ahead and and, and make it known. Well, I will mention. I'm still competing. 48 years old. I compete in masters swimming in the United States and globally. Uh, and at the last, at the 2017 FINA Masters Swimming World Championships, I won four silver medals. Uh, I've set three national records in the United States, and I hold 13 national championship titles. Very impressive. So I think you're qualified to answer a lot of the questions I have here. So, I think so. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> so, so to start off with, so at what age did you first learn to swim and how did it actually happen? What prompted you to take up swimming? Well, we took a family vacation to South Carolina, to the beach on the Atlantic Ocean. And I was four years old and I wouldn't go anywhere near the water. I was deathly afraid of the water. And that was the moment my father decided that I was going to take swimming lessons. Now, my father was a swimmer. He swam in high school and he was a diver. And my grandfather um, was in the uh, U.S. Uh, Coast Guard. So he was a swimmer as well. So that summer, uh, I started taking swim lessons. And I'll never forget this because the place where we took swim lessons if you didn't get in the water when they told you to, they would march you to the deep end and push you off the diving board. And it was literally sink or swim. And that's how I started learning how to swim. Do you have any siblings? Um, and if you do, do they all swim as well? Yes, I have an older sister. Her name is Nicole. Um, and she swims as well. And once we went through the swimming lesson program, in the community where we lived, especially in the summertime, they had the local park district pool, and that was where all of the kids in the neighborhood spent the entire day from about 8 in the morning till about 5 p.m. They had swimming and tennis and, you know, parks and gyms. Uh, and so we were raised uh, in a community where that's what the kids did every day, and that's what we did as well. So fast forward to your professional, um, um, your professional life as a swimmer. 
uh, as a black competitive swimmer, what was your biggest challenge that you came up against? Well, I, I was a state champion at the age of 10, and I was a, a top-ranked, uh, nationally-ranked swimmer by the age of 14. Uh, and I started giving interviews uh, at the age of 14, and people were already saying that I could be the first black swimmer on the U.S. Olympic swim team. Now, at that time... The biggest challenge for me was the same challenge that every swimmer, regardless of their race, had, which was doing the workouts, learning how to suffer pain, uh, learning how to manage, you know, your your mental nerves and uh, how to manage competition. Um, I didn't really have any real problems because I was a black swimmer at the time or if I did I didn't know about them because my father was sheltering me from them but I do remember very early on my father said to me he said look you stand out you're the only black swimmer in the entire competition or one of the few people are going to be looking at you they're going to notice you especially because you're winning races. As long as people are going to be looking at you and notice you, don't give them any ammunition to, to take you down, to say bad things about you. Um, you are going to be an ambassador for the sport. You will wish everyone good luck before the race. You will congratulate everyone after the race. And if you need to have a meltdown or a temper tantrum, you wait until you get inside the locker room where nobody can see you, and then you can have your, your temper tantrum. And that was great advice from my father. Very good advice. So, 1992. I'm sure that's a, that's, that's, that's a year that sticks in, sticks in your memory and will stick in your memory forever. So you were competing for the, for the Summer Olympics. What happened? 1992, in the United States, to make the U.S. Olympic swimming team, you have to go to the U.S. Olympic trials. And because the United States is such a swimming powerhouse, to make the United States uh, Olympic swimming team, uh, you know, they only take the top two swimmers in each event. And the top two swimmers in America are usually in the top 10 in the world, if not top 20 in the world. And the qualifying times, even for the Olympic trials, means that you're one of the top 100 swimmers in the world. And so at my last opportunity to qualify for the 1992 U.S. Olympic trials in the United States, uh, I missed the qualifying time by eight-tenths of a second. And at that point, this thing that I had worked so hard for for 10 years trying to accomplish came to an end, and it was devastating. I mean, I, I never, you know, for 10 years, I woke up every morning at 5 in the morning with my day planned. I go to swim practice, then I go to school. After school, I go to swim practice. I lift weights. Every weekend was planned. Every year was planned um, for this moment. 
And when it didn't happen, I was completely lost. I didn't even know myself other than a swimmer and a, and a potential Olympic hopeful swimmer. So it really, really impacted me. So, so as a result of this, um, you, you retired from swimming and you went traveling, I won't say traveling, you moved to various different countries in the world and you spent um, the next 15 years and living and working in different countries, 24 different countries. Yeah, I, not only did I retire from swimming, I didn't even want to be at school. I left school. I literally left school. Um, I went back and got my degree and then went back to traveling. Um, but I, I, I dropped out of society. I dropped out of life as I knew it and um, really disappeared uh, and traveled the world to discover the next who I was in the next phase of my life. And I'm sure it's made you a better man. Oh, absolutely. And it provided a lot of balance because for all of those years in swimming, you know, I woke up and I had a, a plan, a purpose. I knew exactly what I was going to do pretty much each moment of the day. And for the first time in my life, I woke up and I didn't have any plan whatsoever. I, I was completely free to do whatever I wanted to do. And for me, that provided some life balance that was badly needed. Yeah, well, they say everything happens for a reason. So this probably clearly is, a, is one of those examples. Absolutely. So one, one of the issues that's been highlighted in the community is the lack of visible swimming role models for blacks. For instance, in the UK, Team GB, there's only one black swimmer, Alice Deering. And one of the reasons is lack of role models. In the US, it's, sl it's slightly different because you have, you know, you have people like Simon Manuel, you have other people so to look for people to look up to. But in general, we don't have as many role models as we would want to. What's your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, in the period that I was competing, we didn't have uh, Simone Manuel and Colin Jones um, and Jeff Cummings and several others. We had Chris Silva, um, and he died tragically. And that was about it. Uh, there was also Anthony Nesty from Cyrano. And the thing that I experienced was I was someone that would go to YMCA Nationals and Junior Nationals and I would make the finals in every event but I never won like I would get fourth place or fifth place and so one of the tragedies that happened to me and is still happening is there are a lot of very talented black swimmers in the United States and other countries as well who are making the finals and, and, and swimming really fast and competing who simply aren't getting attention because they're not winning the gold medal. And unfortunately, we don't have too many of our own media channels that take an interest in the sport of swimming and these swimmers. So they're there, those role models are there, but they're not getting the visibility because 
the media is not interested in them. I had a conversation with a, la- um, a lady by the name of Serene Jones, and she works for the BBC. We we're talking about the media in general, and one thing she one, she, one thing she mentioned is that nowadays we are the media, and so what is what we are doing is that what's going to change things. So I'm hoping that's right. So I'm hoping that what we do, the conversations such as this and other conversations and the things that you're doing is what's going to make the difference in changing the perception and making things um, much more visible, making us much more visible to the world. And thanks to, and thanks to social media and technology, we can now do this. I agree. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. Um, and so it's our job, uh, those of us in this space, to make sure that while we're covering whoever wins the gold, silver, or medals, that we look a little deeper in the final results to, to find those swimmers, right, who are up and coming and that are doing well, that we know their names. And like you said, we take the responsibility on social media to highlight them and if we do that then we're 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 making a major contribution yeah, most definitely most definitely um one thing one one thing um that was highlighted in a film called last can swim um and especially on the soundtrack i asked the question is it a cultural or physical thing so there's been a lot of talk about black people having a physique which is um, disadvantageous to floating and swimming in comparison to um, what you call it, a white person. I, as, as far as I'm concerned, there hasn't been any proof of this. Okay, I'm so glad you asked me this question. And mind you, I watched the interview you did with Professor Splash, and you asked some very interesting questions. So, first of all, and we, we had this discussion via Messenger, even though I love what you're doing, I hated that you chose that title for your movie because when you say blacks can't swim, then people confuse that with ability. And it's not that black people don't have the ability to swim. That's not what this is. And from a cultural perspective, it's not true, and let's go all the way back to the beginning. The very first human swimmers on Earth were black people in the Nile Valley. We originated swimming. And as a, as a genealogist and a historian, when I was doing research on my family, I discovered that in 1445, the first time that the Portuguese had come to the west coast of Africa, in these travel diaries that they kept, for example, there's a Portuguese by the name of Gomez uh, Azarara who keeps this uh, firsthand account of their first encounter with my ancestors on the west coast of Africa in Guinea. And he wrote that they were in their boats, but our men had very great toil in the capture of those who were swimming, for they dived like cormorants and we could not get hold of them. So the very first reference in Portuguese literature to my ancestors is a reference to us swimming. So one of the things that I wanna do is 
dispel that myth that when we say blacks can't swim or when that is said that it's referring to ability that's not true that's that's years and decades and centuries of propaganda and it's very similar to the fact that for example in the united states right when they talk about the drug war and when they talk about drug users in the united states because black people were disproportionately imprisoned as a result of the drug war the perception in most people's minds is that the drug user is a black person when all the data shows that it's white people in america that use drugs far more than black people but the perception is that black people are the drug users so it's the same thing with swimming right there's this perception that we can't swim that we don't have the ability and that's the result of cultural propaganda now what has happened is that through our historical experience and through a system of white supremacy before the encounters of Europeans and Africans there were there weren't swimming pools you swam in lakes you swam in rivers you swam in the ocean as a result of uh the slave trade and the development of the capitalist system based on the slave trade european people were able to build things like pools and country clubs and then as a result they developed swimming programs and competitive swimming so this advantage that you see that exists today is a result of the wealth that was taken from our ancestors prior to that we could swim every bit as much as any european in fact in those same travel diaries the europeans talk about how half of their people either died when there were where there was resistance to the slave trade they either died in the waters cuz half of them couldn't swim so really the issue we're talking about is not whether blacks have the ability to swim it's their access to resources very true. What the issue is about. And that's very true. And I'm very, very happy you brought up this question, especially about the title, um, because it gives me the platform or the opportunity to explain the reason behind it. Yes. So, as you know, I'm only now learning how to swim. And I'm, I'm a little older than you. And so, it's, I've spent most of my life or shall I say all my life up until now, hiding behind the stereotypes and the stigmas and the myths that blacks can't swim. But the main reason that made me use the title blacks can, a, a film called Blacks Can't Swim was that I wanted to show, I wanted to highlight that there are a lot of people like myself hiding behind the ideology that we can't swim and Mr. Society was put in the film to highlight the society telling us that we can't swim so it's not a statement or a fact that blacks can't swim but it's just the ideology that the whole world out there is telling us that we can't swim so the film is a film called blacks can't swim and if you've noticed, the, the campaign we are running right now is Blacks Can Swim. Well, I agree with you. I love the, I think the work you're doing is fantastic. Uh, and let me go back to the point you were asking about earlier. I had this experience 
when I was in Ethiopia, and I went to Lake Tana, which is the source of the Nile, and when I was there, I saw all kinds of children, black children, Ethiopians, swimming in the lake. And then I thought to myself, Ethiopians, Kenyans, East Africans in general, especially living at high altitude, they're the best long-distance runners in the world. So I thought to myself, why couldn't these same East Africans be the best long-distance swimmers in the world? And the answer to that question is, is they can, but their lives are not organized around that activity. So, for example, the young runners, they're running back and forth between villagers to get to school. It's part of their daily life. It's their mode of transportation. With swimming, that's not the case. Okay, it's not their mode of transportation. And in that same country of Ethiopia, at the Gihan Hotel in Addis Ababa, they had an Olympic-sized swimming pool with no water in it. So, again... Um, I always like to, when this question comes up, is it because of our bone density? Is it because of our, uh, our, our fat content or we retain water and salt? You know, all of that kind of biological stuff, the same kind of thinking that they tried to use when they tried to uh, analyze our, our mental capacity. You know, could we take tests and was our IQ high enough? And they came up with all these physical measurements of our brain. To your question physically, of course we can swim every bit as well as anyone else. The issue is, what's the priorities for our society? And you're, you're right. Right now our priority is preventing drowning more so than developing competitive swim cultures. That's a first world priority. We're a developing world priority. So, again, it's... It's, it's, it's about access to resources. But physically, those that have access to those resources are showing that they can dominate the sport just like any other sport. Amazing. Slavery. There's talks that slavery had an impact on black people's attitudes and consequently our fear of water. Um, what's your view on this? You know, I listened to you discuss this in other interviews, and um, I think it's a very interesting argument, and there's some valid points. Um, you know, we have had a lot of traumatic experiences in the water as a result of the slave trade or resisting the slave trade. As you've mentioned with other guests previously, you know, having to swim for our, our lives to the free pole and, uh, uh, you know, with crocodiles and sharks and things like that. Um, just being carried across uh, a body of water for six weeks in those miserable conditions associates the trauma with water. Um, having faced humiliations, trying to swim at public beaches for whites only or public pools for whites only there has been a lot of trauma around swimming where i could very well see people quite naturally saying you know it's not worth it and this could happen this could happen this could happen all of these fears and as a result 
creating a subconscious culture where that's not something we do. There's too many risks. I think it's an excellent conversation, and um, I think there's something to it in the same way that you have scientists saying that our biology has changed, our ability to retain salt, and one of the reasons why African Americans have the highest rate of high blood pressure and hypertension has its roots in the kind of food and the diet that we had as a result of the Middle Passage and the slave trade. And so if our bodies have changed and become unhealthy, that's going to affect what we do physically as well. What do you think we can do in our generation in addition to what can we do as a community to, to, to change the perception, to get the, the younger generation, get the community involved in swimming? That's a great question. I mean, there's so many things on so many levels. Um, and you, I think, have set an example. You personally are learning how to swim, which is setting an example and encouraging others. You've used your particular field of work in making this film to draw attention to it. There are members of our community that are doing lots of learn to swim programs, either bringing it to schools or bringing it to community members. So people are doing things on multiple fronts and people are all doing things, you know, uh, when it comes to, for example, competitive swimming. Uh, here in the United States, you have diversity in aquatics, which is an association of, you know, people that do all kinds of water safety, lifeguarding, um, canoeing, water polo, swimming, rowing, diving. If it involves aquatics in any way, you now have civil society organizations that are partnering with uh, foundations to, to, to make sure that we're providing programs and communities. So um, the work is being done. Uh, and I'm very proud to, I was just invited to become a part of African Sports Ventures Group, uh, which is going to be doing a lot of things just to promote sports in general as a way to do human development, teaching things like life skills and discipline, economic development, sports leagues in developed countries uh, provide opportunities for, um, for people to make careers, for economic development. Sports is a vehicle for so many platforms. And so within that, I'm going to be highlighting swimming. Uh, uh, my understanding is Senegal is going to be hosting the Youth Olympics. Yep, this is I the first time that. that such an event is hosted on the African continent. And so I'll be working to make sure that uh, African-American youth swimmers uh, are participating and building bridges with the young up-and-coming swimmers uh, on the African continent uh, and sort of doing that kind of um, cultural peer bonding, age group, you know, our cultures, we, we do age group initiations where everybody in that age group goes through a process together. So we want to use those traditional African institutions and kind of apply them to swimming and sports to, uh, so that the youth um, feel connected to the swimmers in Great Britain and France and America and Brazil and Puerto Rico. Um, so I think there's lots of things going on all across the board. And as you rightfully said, 
since we now have social media and that we can control, we just need to make sure that we have some kind of clearinghouse or mechanism where whatever someone is doing somewhere, we can know about it and then repost it. And that's the whole idea. And that's the plan. And I'm pretty sure we'll be very, very successful in achieving that. What have you been up to lately? And this tr tracking, this tracking exercise, I've been hearing so much about it. So I'll tell you about the trucking uh, in one second, but I will let you know, I just returned from Egypt. I think maybe you saw this. Yes, I saw that. Yep. I, I saw the, the pictures. They had the, yeah, <laughs> it was the first Masters uh, Swimming International Championships, and it was held in Cairo, Egypt. And for the first time in competitive swimming history, as far as I know, I had decorated my body in sort of the traditional body decoration that Nubian people would do when they go to compete. Uh, so the for the first time in swimming, I you know I was competing like that, and it was it was sensational. I and, can imagine uh, it won the hearts of a lot of people on the African continent and and, and drew drew them to swimming. So. Uh, I did that. That was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but as far as the trucking thing, that's what I do professionally as a career. I run a, a company called Fitness Trucking. It provides wellness coaching, nutrition and fitness coaching for truck drivers who have the highest rate of obesity in the United States of America. And um, based on my primary scientific experiments in developing the program, we learned that you can turn your fat burning system on in just four minutes by moving with maximum intensity. doesn't matter what the movement is. As long as you're doing a movement, you're doing it at maximum intensity. You're breathing so hard you can barely finish the sentence. You will engage your fat burning system and you can, it, and it will go to its highest level and it will burn fat at an accelerated rate for up to three hours. And so we teach the drivers to do this. And then at every three-hour mark, if you eat some form of protein, doesn't matter what it is, you will give your fat-burning system work to do so that it doesn't shut off. And by doing this throughout the day, just doing your four minutes before you start your day and eating some form of protein every three hours, we've developed the number one weight loss program in America with a simple technique. And so my goal is to, you know, win the war of obesity here in America and everywhere um, by teaching this, what, they, what we call the four-minute fit technique. You need to bring this over to the UK. Same I thing. want to, and if I, first person I'm going to come and see is you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, pl I'm planning to come over and see you in Chicago at some point anyways, but if you come over here first, that would be great. I look forward to, to getting in the pool with you. Uh, it would be an honor, and I know that a lot of that will make a lot of people happy, and we will further encourage them. So yeah. whether I get there first or you get here, or we meet somewhere else, one way or the other. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me, and it's been a pleasure.